continue praying for my mother-in-law. Maeve is Dylan Moore. She lives in Macon County, Alabama, Tuskegee. That's where Karen is today with her. Please be prayerful for her at this juncture in her life. She is um, recovering, trying to recover from a very serious illness. Um, pray for her. We are uh, appreciative today of all that you do to make 4545, y'all. I need to, uh, I was talking to some folks yesterday about a vacation, <laughs> about a vacation, honestly, about getting away. I'm always talking about cruises. I probably talk about cruises like us folks talk about, you know, shoes or something like that. Like I'm always shopping for a cruise somewhere. And it's a funny thing about cruise ships. Um, if they were going to get together and take 20 people out on a cruise ship, they would have to outfit the cruise ship like they had 2,000 people. Yeah. They have to do all the same preparation. They have to make sure they're stored as if 2,000 people are going to be on there. Which is why a lot of times, if you ever look for a cruise, you see these discount rates. <laughs> because they don't have to spend the same amount of money anyway. At some level, they just want to have people on board the ship. Well, if they get you on board, then they can sell you other stuff, name alcohol. But that's where they make most of the money, but, but why you say that? Well, because every Sunday across the country, across the world, you open a church, you got to do the same thing to open a church for two people <laughs> or for 2,000 people. Same exact thing. Yeah, booth got to be manned, choir got to be manned, lights got to be taken care of, everything. And so a long time ago, me and the Lord got together and, and we got all right with what church is about. And I told him, Lord, I'm going to do the same thing if it's a handful or a room full. Don't matter to me. Because my job is to get up and preach and pastor. Everybody else has got to figure out what their job is with respect to how we move along. And so I say to you today that everybody who contributes to making sure everything goes well, God bless you. I understand that life comes along sometime, and it's just one of them times when everybody's other stuff gets in place of Sunday. But I miss this fellowship when it's not. When it's not happening, even when I'm away from it on Sunday, sometimes it's 
It's a yearning. It's like not seeing your family. And that's never been clearer to me than when I'm sitting in a hospital with a family or when I'm at a, somebody's house who's been homebound for a long time, like I was this week. This week I had both of those occurrences. To be in a home where a member hadn't been able to come to church in a long time. And just to hear this member talk about one of the first things out of this member's mouth was, I miss y'all. I miss y'all. And I don't have any doubt that that was 100% the truth. Because sometimes you don't miss what you have till you can't get to it no more. And the other thing is yesterday in the hospital, I saw how family comes from church. How you meet not just the people you're familiar with, but then their family starts, their other family members start showing up. And then you realize, I know you too. <laughs> I went to high school with you, or I know you. And at its essence, church is just one big family gathering place. It's important. So I hope those of you who are, who are online, every now and then, every now and then, if you're able, make a plan just to come in. All right? Just to come and sit with us and say hello to us every now and then. Come and be with us because it matters and it'll feed, it'll feed your soul. Amen. I need to say that. I don't know why. We started a sermon series last week on the book of Judges. On the book of Judges. And we want to continue in that sermon series today. Last week we had a message that we entitled, um, that, that, uh, that came from the second, really the second chapter of Judges. And the center of the message came from the fact that there came a time in the Israelites' life or the life of the tribe of, I mean, the, the nation of Israel, that everybody who knew all the good stuff that God had done had died out. It was after Joshua died. And the scriptures said plainly, y'all, that there arose a generation that didn't know God or the great things that he had done. It's chapter 2, verse 10, if you're looking forward. All the great things he had done. Also, not just Joshua had died, but all the people who had been with Joshua. They had died as well. And so not only were the leaders gone, but all the folk with the memory who could tell the stories were gone too. And the amazing thing about that is when nobody's around to remind you of how good God is, and you haven't done the things that God has asked you to do. That's the biggest part of this lesson. You find yourself slipping back into ways that are not beneficial to you or kingdom building. Pam, when the children of Israel got to the promised land and were about to go in and take it, God gave them specific instructions. Just go in there, get rid of everybody in the land. I'm giving you the land. 
I'm giving you the houses you didn't build. I'm giving you vineyards you didn't plant. I'm giving you wells you didn't dig. I'm giving you the abundance of the land and the land. But it's already folk living there. Get rid of them. I'm going to give you the victory over every one of them. Go in there and get rid of them. And they started out pretty good. They conquered this land, get rid of the people. Somewhere along the way, somebody thought they were smarter than God. And so instead of getting rid of them, they decided that they were going to have a workforce. Lazy. So instead of killing folk, they enslaved them. They let them live so that they could try to get... Now, I don't know, if God's already given you everything, why do you have to create a workforce to do anything? And so God told them to eliminate something, and they decided they were going to manage it. And this did not please God. Because it didn't, they didn't do what he said. And that's what the whole chapter 1 of Judges is about, about how they were given this land, told to take it. They started doing it, then they stopped. And we get to chapter 2. And in the midst of what this coming apostasy is, apostasy is knowing better, not doing, knowing God and not honoring him, this coming apostasy, in the midst of that, Joshua dies. So the leader who's been pushing them, leading them to the land, is gone. And then over the course of time, all the people around him died. And here they are in this place with these idol-worshiping people who they were supposed to get rid of. They're living with these idol-worshiping people. They're picking up the ways of these idol-worshiping people, and they do not understand that they're sliding back into their old ways. And the day arose when there was a generation that didn't know God anymore. Second generation. Second generation folk who didn't know the Lord. And so God's response to trying to get them back, because in its essence, y'all, the Bible is a love story. If you can imagine God as a man and, and, and us as the woman he's chasing, he's trying to get us back every time. That's what it is. He wants us to be in relationship with him. He wants us to be in love with him. And it's almost as if we keep ducking and hiding and trying to get away from him, but he never gives up on us. And so his response to the generation of children, who people who did not know the Lord, was to start raising up leaders who could guide them. Because the Bible was clear. As long as the people had a leader, they did what was right. But when the leader was gone, they slipped back into their old ways. And so he started raising up this leader, and that's where we get judges from. Now, judges is a term that in our common context doesn't really fit all that they did. Did they handle controversies in the community? They did. But they were also warriors, all right? They were leaders. They were more like governors than what we know of as judges. And he started sending them. And they lined up. They come, and for the time that they were in charge, they would do okay. But then they'd die, and then there'd be peace for 30 or 40 years. 
and they slipped back again. And then the people would realize that they were in a tough spot and they would cry out to God. God's always going to hear us when we cry out. And when, we cry, when they cried out to God, God would raise up another judge. This went on. In the book of Judges, you'll find proper about 11 or 12 judges, depending on how you count them. Some more notable than others. We, in, this, in this series, we're going to hit several of them, I think, that will that bear mentioning. You already know some of them. You already know some of them. You know the names of them. You may not have known that they were judges. You know, you know Samson. He's a judge. Yeah. You know Gideon. He's a judge. And today we're going to talk about a very unique one in the list. This one comes along. She's, this one, she's a woman, the only woman on the list. And the fact that there's a woman in and of itself is historic at that time. We're going to talk about her for just a little while this morning. But she comes along in chronological order. She's about fourth on the list. Before her, if you'll go through from chapter 3 when we start talking about God giving, ju giving judges to the people, then you'll see Othniel. And Othniel was around and for about 40 years and then there was, he left or he died and then there was no, there was sliding back apostasy. They call them uh, the uh, apostasy, apostasy times. Every time they slip he sent them someone else after Othniel, then he sent Ehud. Ehud was there for about 80 years. We're talking about do dozens of years that this happened. You have to factor time into your understanding of the history of the Bible. And then there was one named Shamgar. And after Shamgar, we reach a point where the children of Israel are in bad shape. They're in bad shape. And, and the shape they're in means that the people are crying out mightily for the Lord to help them. Can I tell you something? If you're in trouble and you don't know what else to do, call on the name of the Lord. Call on his name. If you don't have the answer, call his name. You don't have to call him and tell him what you need. Just call him and tell him you need him. And he is omniscient, which means he knows everything, which means he knows what you need. Just call on his name. And the Lord will hear what the song says. He'll hear our faintest cry and he'll what? Somebody know what I'm talking about. He's going to answer by and by. Call on his name. It doesn't have to be no formal prayer, but just call on his name. Let me give you a scripture that I think helps us understand the essence of this. In chapter 4, which is where Deborah is, it says, And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. Don't that summarize this? Again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. And the Lord told them, the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazor, the captain of whose host was Sisera, which dwelt in 
heroship of the Gentiles. So I want to put this into a New Testament context for you. In the New Testament, the Jews are always into it with the Canaanites. All right? This is historic. From the essence, from the beginning, they always had problems with the Canaanites, and that never changed. It's like black folk and white folk having problems historically. That's how it is with this group of people. They had problems consistently. And here it is again. The Canaanites had the Israelites in bondage, according to chapter 4. It says, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, verse 3, for he had 900 chariots of iron, this man who was the head of the army for the Canaanites, name was Sisera, he was a general, and he was armed to the teeth. He had more weapons. The Bible says that he had 900 chariots, 900 chariots, and they were made of iron. And for 20 years, 20 years, remember I told you time, he had been oppressing them for 20 years when they started finally to have enough sense to, to call on the name of the Lord. And in fact, I'm so committed to you being part of this that if you don't go, the general told them, I ain't going. My Lord, there's no doubt that Deborah was significant. Two things. If you're in trouble, call on the Lord. That hadn't changed. Second Chronicles 7 and 14, you ought to know this. There are some Bible verses you ought to know. You might not be able to quote them, but you, under, you need to understand what they say. If you're in trouble, the spirit of the Bible says, call on the Lord. How do I know? Because the writer said, if my people who call by my name, first thing you got to do is what? Humble yourself, all right, and pray. Seek my face. Can't just seek his face. You got to turn from your wicked ways. Somebody's been hearing this. He said, when you do that, humble yourself. Pray. Seek his face. Turn from your wicked ways. And then he says, then I will hear from heaven and forgive your sin. And I will heal your land, heal you and the situation you find yourself in. But first, you got to go through the formula of getting my attention. And once you do that, that's not that's Old Testament, New Testament. James right? If any of you are in trouble, he should pray. Is anybody happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is anybody among you sick? If he is, then he should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with all in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The formula is true whether it's Old Testament, New Testament. And in this instance, God gives us a woman, Deborah, as the leader. Deborah means be when it's translated. B-E-E. 
And the Bible says that she matched that definition by her character. Because when it came to dealing with the people of God, Deborah was as sweet as she could be when it came to loving God's people. But also when it came to the enemies of God, she could put a stinger on them that'll make them know, don't bother God's people. Deborah's name was appropriate for her, and she lived up to it. And so when given the mission to get rid of the Canaanites who were led by Jabin and the 900 iron chariots and the warriors that they had, Israel only had 10,000 total souls. All right? They were badly outnumbered. But Barak, the general, had a secret weapon. And the secret weapon he had was the inside person who knew the Lord. Her name was, was Deborah. And that's why he said, if Deborah goes with me and leads me, goes with me to lead the troops into battle, I'll go. If she doesn't, then I won't go. So this woman was not only going to serve on the front line, but she was going to also lead them. Can you imagine 10,000 at that time, in that historic time, 10,000 men agreeing to be led into battle by a woman. We, we can't even fathom what a significant turn of events that was, nor can we even imagine how well respected she was, but those are, are the kinds of leaders that God can make and build up. And so when God asks us to do some things that are outrageous or impossible, how willing are you to step out there and do it? Because Barak, as much his name was Barak, B-A-R-A-C-K. He was, he was not, not C-K-K, but he was as brave as they come. But he wasn't brave enough to step out into this horribly lopsided battle unless he had this woman by his side. The significance of having someone who knows the Lord. But there's another part of this, Ingrid. Nowhere in Scripture. Nowhere in these verses will you ever hear that Deborah takes credit for anything. She wasn't in it for notoriety. As popular as she was, as well-loved as she found herself, she was not in it to claim any of the glory for herself. Judges 4 and 8, she tells Barak that the honor will not be for him They went when they win, when they win but it'll be for God. Her humility in the face of all this love and adulation is a lesson for all of us. Because too often, we use our position for personal gain, for personal popularity. And I'm telling you this, if you got God on your side, you got all the audience you need. Yeah. God cheering for you is a celebration in and of itself. And so, they got the battle plan. Go take them. I'm going to give you the victory. And so the battle plan of God is carried out as they said it should be. The Israelites actually end up defeating defeating the Canaanites. And then you roll into chapter 5 of Judges. Then you get an indication of how they won the victory. Watch this now. The thing that the Canaanites had 
that made the Israelites so frightened was 900 chariots made of iron. But they don't understand how brilliant God is. Can I tell you something? My God controls the weather. You might not have enough iron to get with folk who got all of this, these weapons, but my God, they tell can make it rain. And if my God makes it rain, then you're not going to be able to roll your chariots. And so God completely neutralized the army by simply letting it rain, and all the chariots got stuck in the mud, allowing a smaller army to take advantage of them because God knows how to deal with your enemy. Can I tell you, you might not understand how he's going to do it. His ways are certainly not our ways, but you belong to him. And in this instance, he allowed the victory to come because he used a weapon that they could not have commanded, and that was faith. And that faith brought that water down to the ground, and it immobilized all those chariots, and God handed them to his hand. There was only one that escaped, and his name was Sisera. He was their leader. Watch this now. He was their leader. This is gory, but this is how it was. Truth of the matter is, there's a lot of blood in the Bible. So Sarah thought he had gotten away and he had now, he was hiding in a tent. And he didn't realize that his handmaiden was an Israelite. <laughs> and so while he was there in his tent at night, she went ahead and finished the job for everybody with a tent stake through his head. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, when God said he's going to give you the victory. He uses everyone at his disposal. So there was a woman who led him in, and there was a woman who finished it at the end. But the enemy was finished. There's nowhere to hide from God when you choose to fight against him. In that respect, he don't play fair. He is going to utterly take care of you and the problem for you, and if you're not with him, then you're in trouble. He's going to use whatever is at his disposal. So the story we learn from Deborah and her leadership of the Israelites is that God is going to conquer evil. God is going to protect his people. You can't hide evil from him. He's all-seeing, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, And but if we confess our sin, and he's faithful and just to forgive us from all unrighteousness. Chapter 5 of Judges leads us with what's called the Song of Deborah. And Deborah sings, literally, sings a song of a grateful heart and gives thanks and praise to God for everything that the Israelites had come through. And even though she could have been bragging, she made sure that God got all the glory. She made sure she took none of the credit for herself. So what's the, what's the main thing we get from this judge named Deborah? who against all odds led odds led a, an army of men who were greatly outnumbered to a victory over a much larger foe. Well, the first thing you need to know is Deborah's story as a judge is about success against all odds. When you think everything is against you, if you haven't put God in the equation, then you haven't calculated right. God will give you the advantage 
when you belong to him. God will protect you. God will give you resources that have not even been created yet. If it means giving you the victory, you can't imagine what God will do for you because he's going to do it just for you. You don't know what you need, but all you need to do is know you have God. and He'll take care of you. Her army couldn't have done it by itself. They weren't even emotionally ready to win a battle. And that was proven by the fact that they wouldn't go forward without that woman being, Deborah being there in front of them. Can you imagine in that context, that would have been cowardly for a man to say that a woman was going to lead him in the battle. And yet, God strengthened them through her presence. So there are things in your life right now that you count as negative or lost. And I came to tell you that God can turn that on his head and what you think is negative, God can make it for positive. Uh, 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 the songwriter said it this, he meant it for my bad, but God meant it for my good. Not only is she courageous, she's also humble. And she gets the victory for everyone. Circumstances can fool you, but our best our best course of action is always to place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would we do that? Why would we put our faith in Jesus Christ? Because some people say it this way for the other day. He didn't win. In the end, he got killed. You look at it from the world's point of view, people would say that Jesus, we always talk about this man named Jesus, but the streets would say, last time I saw this man named Jesus was on the cross. He was crucified. They killed him. But that ain't the whole story. Because you can never calculate what God will do for you to give you the victory. If you only look at the story until Jesus is on the cross, then you need to hear the rest of the story. Yeah, the rest of the story is that even though God had him, allowed him to, to, to die on that cross, and that's what I mean. He allowed him to die on that cross. Even though he allowed him to be crucified for doing nothing wrong. God knew in the end that he had the ultimate trump card, if you will. He knew in the end that he controlled everything. And because he controlled everything, even though D Jesus died on the cross, God controls life and death. And so though life was taken from him on this end, or even though he gave his life on this end, God had the power to give him life again. And that's what he did. That's why we always say he died, but he didn't stay dead. He was resurrected and he got up out of that grave because God put life back in him. It's never over dealing with the Lord. And so I came to, to, to tell you today that in this life, we're going to have trouble. In this life, we're going to have problems. And sometimes those troubles lead us to death. But if you belong to God, if you have faith in his son, Jesus Christ, then that's not the end. There's another something coming, and we call that eternal life. And I'm empowered right now to tell you that it's not just available for those folk in the Bible. It's also available for you. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, then he can give you a guarantee of eternal life. If you simply put your faith and trust in trust. So I'm inviting you right now. You never ever 
given him your life, never confessed your faith in him, then today is the day, now is the time for you to do that. Just let him know, Lord, I believe in you and I'm giving my life to you. While our leaders come today to welcome you, the doors of our church are wide open. So the wheels have a little